Israel's return from exile occurred in many phases over many decades, and each new phase ushered in a more complete restoration of this ancient people to their homeland. Returning home and rebuilding their lives, however, would not come without great strife and opposition. Fortunately, there is no opposition powerful enough to stop the hand of God and the advancement of His work. I invite you to join us in our study today and encourage each of us to request divine understanding that the Spirit can teach us individually and specifically. Welcome to Come Follow Up. I think when I am focusing on the work of the Lord, it's a lot easier for me to forget myself in situations and helps me to just look at the bigger picture of people need to come closer to Christ, I need to come closer to Christ, so my challenges aren't as dramatic as I think they are. Sometimes I like to just think about myself and what I'm going through and just think about how hard my life can be. But when I do service for other people, it's when I realize, oh, we're all going through different things and we all have things that we need to be working on. Serving God, I think, changes lives. It changes your own life. And when you change your own life, people see and you teach by example. So when you are serving God, people see how radiant your life is becoming and they want to follow that. Welcome everyone, thank you so much for being here today. Today's discussion topics come from our studies in the books of Ezra and Nehemiah. And the first topic we're gonna discuss is Israel's return from exile. And the second topic is, I can help the work of God advance despite opposition. And to help us with our discussion today, we wanna to welcome back one of our scholars, Dr. Patrick Mason. Patrick, welcome. Thanks, great to be here. Patrick is an Associate Professor of Religious Studies and History at Utah State University. Go Aggies. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> and seated next to Patrick is our special guest today, Carol Costley. Carol, thank you so much for being here. Thanks for having me. Carol serves on the General Young Women Council in the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. She is also a certified social worker with over 20 years experience helping people with disabilities, she and her husband are presently working with people dealing with mental health and substance abuse issues. Very excited to hear what you have to say specifically with the topics we're gonna to discuss. So thank you so much for being here. First topic we're gonna to discuss is Israel's return from exile. Patrick, do you wanna give us a little bit of background and history as we jump into this first topic? Right, so, so if you'll remember at the end of 2 Kings, the northern kingdom of Israel has been led into exile by the Assyrians, and then the southern kingdom of Judah has now been led into exile by the Babylonians. And so what we get at the very beginning of Ezra here is King Cyrus of Persia actually issues an edict uh, in which he allows the Jews to go back to rebuild their temple. Okay. And so what we see in these books of Ezra and Nehemiah are actually three different waves of Jews going back to their original land in Jerusalem and, and in that area to rebuild the temple, to, to rebuild their lives, to, to go back to this land that had been theirs before they went into exile. Okay, okay, that helps explain a lot as we jump into these. Now, Carol, um, I was hoping that with your line of work, because here we are talking about a return to something that was once there. And do you see any correlation in the work that you do with people striving to return back to uh, a former life that they had or, or a better life? And would you mind ex kind of explaining uh, what you do in your profession and how that coincides with these chapters? 
Yes, I'd be happy to. I remember speaking with one person and she said, I had no idea that this would be my life. I just want to get back to feel what is normal, to feel, to get up and hear a bird sing, or to get up and appreciate the things, nature that's around me, or to spend time with my children. And so I think the work that we do, we're helping people to rebuild, to get back to a life where they felt joy, where they had different emotions and feelings that they were able to express. I love how you said to rebuild and to get back. And I think we see this theme, Patrick, within these chapters of rebuilding and getting back to something that was once there before. Yeah, so, so the first thing that, that we get is, is this, this group of people who, who go back, uh, and there are a few different leaders uh, who go back to, to rebuild the temple. And, and it's helpful, some, sometimes it's clarifying because they're like, uh, to clarify because there are multiple temples here. So you remember the Israelites had the, the tabernacle that they, they carried through the wilderness, okay. right? Uh, and then when, when they got there at the time of David and then Solomon, remember Solomon built his mm-hmm. temple and it was this glorious temple. Well, that was the temple that was destroyed by the Babylonians okay. in 586. So there's no temple in Jerusalem right now while the people are in exile. So when Cyrus gives them the, the permission, they go back and especially under the leadership of Zerubbabel and Jeshua, the high priest, they rebuild the temple. Okay. And Carol, as we're talking about um, temples as part of this return from exile, uh, how do you see a temple as being the primary structure that they go to first to rebuild? Why is it that that's going to help them in their return from exile? Um, I, I think it's to do with the individual person. I think that you first have to rebuild yourself. And the temple, we're told, is the foundation, really, of the gospel. It's where we make covenants and where we create a life with the Savior. And I think so rebuilding ourselves personally, our own personal um, temple is really important. A lot of people come to us who have had an addiction and they want to change. They want things to be different in their lives. And it has to first start with them. No one else outside can do it. They really have to start with that foundation. Thank you so much for, for bringing that up because I really do believe that it shows that there's so much uh, relevance as we're talking about these scriptures and these stories. And specifically with the rebuilding of the temple, I think we can draw a lot from that in, in today's society and just how we can use the temple as that, that light, as that beacon, as that foundation in our lives. I would love to hear from the audience on what you have done or what sacrifices you have made to make the temple a greater part of your life. Emily. Growing up, my mom started taking my brother and I to the temple every week to do baptisms. So I started going when I was 14 years old. And then when I could drive, I realized what an importance that was adding to my life every week. So I kept that and would drive myself every week to the temple. And then as I've gotten older, I've continued going every week. And I just realized how much of an impact that has on my life of what guidance it gives us, what light. But not only like going to the temple, but making our home like a temple as Some of us can't go weekly or once a month just distance-wise or something, but we can make a part of our life like the temple in whatever way we can, and great blessings come from that. Well, thank you so much for sharing that. Uh, We had another hand come up. Lisa, did you have a question or a comment? Yeah, this one's more for Patrick. When you're talking about them moving into exile or being, what does 
that definition mean in the scriptures back then? Like, were they kicked out? Is it like the same as term for us these days when we hear about refugees? Yeah, that's a terrific question. So you're, you're exactly right. So not only when the Babylonians came in and destroyed the temple in 586, not only did they destroy the temple, then they took the people and they carried them off back into Babylon. And this was a period where, you know, they, they, they absolutely were refugees. They were strangers in a strange land. They were, they were not where they felt like they, they wanted to be. And so the, the stories in these books, Ezra and Nehemiah, these are about people who just want to go home. You know, and that takes, uh, uh, puts a lot of, I don't want to say pressure on us, but a lot of responsibility on us to be mindful of those around us and to think about them. And we do see that in this narrative with the Jews, that they receive a lot of outside help uh, from others. So Carol, in your line of work, how important is it for those you're trying to help to receive that help from all different sources? Okay, it's impossible for us as a counselor when someone comes in for me to help them with everything. And so we rely on multiple different agencies to support the clients that we serve. And so that's why I think it's so uh, relevant right now looking at the Jewish people who had help from so many different resources and they were willing to do it. Right. And we're talking within a, a religious context, right, Patrick? Yeah. Uh, so how important was it that back then that people stayed within their own religion? Yeah. Well, that's the thing is, is the, the, the remarkable thing here. So this is, Cyrus is not a Jew. Right. Right. He, he doesn't believe in the, the, the God of, of the Jews. And so it, it's, it's a kind of remarkable early example of what we'd now call religious tolerance, mm -hmm. you know, or even a kind of interfaith partnership that now he had his own political reasons to do it. But, but still, the generosity towards people of, of a different religion we, we don't always see that in, yeah. in ancient times or even in modern times. I mean, oftentimes the impulse was to destroy other people's temples, to get rid of their gods, to deface them, yeah. right? And here's Cyrus doing the opposite, empowering people to worship God according to their own conscience. You know, and we live in a, a world today where we are surrounded by so many different religions. And we had a, a, a question coming from one of our viewers uh, in regards to that. My name is Barrett, and I'm from Tennessee. And in Ezra chapter 1, we learn that Cyrus, the king of Persia, was commanded by God to help construct the temple, uh, even though he wasn't of the house of Israel. And so my question is, how can we as Latter-day Saints better recognize opportunities to work with members of other faiths to help build the kingdom of God? So, and the question that Barrett asked, you know, and it's kind of fitting he comes from the South, right? Right. Uh, this religious hub and, uh, and he was specifically talking about Latter-day Saints, but this is something that is beneficial for all religions to, to look at and, and try to answer is how do we recognize opportunities to work better with each other? Caitlin. Something that comes to mind is focusing on the similarities. Okay. So I did track in high school and I know that as a team, we had to do a service project all together. And we came from very different faiths our head coach was actually very religious as well. So we would pray before track meets and everybody would pray, like have a chance to play at, pray at different track meets in their own religion, like how they prayed, which I think is amazing. But so I think as, as a track team, we would do service and we would all feel that love of God. We wouldn't necessarily talk about Christ while we served others, but you could just feel that unity. And that 
anything good is of God. Anything good builds kingdom of God. That's great. I love that. I love that example of serving, that unity that you guys feel, and really does kind of show what is going on here uh, in, in the scriptures. There's a great correlation of how we can bring that close to home today. Thank you so much. Now, uh, Patrick, you had mentioned earlier uh, this concept of uh, interfaith correlation. And, and Kara, I'd, I'd love to hear um, with your experience working with the young women on the Young Women General Council, uh, do you have any insights on what is being done or what we can uh, do to better strengthen interfaith correlations? I think that we need to learn about other religions. Okay. I think a lot of times we fear learning about other religions because maybe we think that it might affect us negatively. Like it's gonna weaken us Yeah, like it's gonna hurt our testimonies. But what I think it really serves to unite, and I love that King Cyrus saw that the way to build the community was to help people rebuild the things that are important to them. I love that. Patrick, in the beginning of this discussion, you talked about different returns. So, so when does the second so, return so happen? So this first wave goes back and then they start to rebuild the temple. And then okay. it's, it's about 60 years later that the second wave comes back now. And it's kind of at the head of that second wave of people now returning from exile, from Babylon or from Persia back to Jerusalem. This is led by Ezra. So, okay. so now this is who the book is named gotcha, after. So, okay. so the first few chapters are about other people, but then finally in chapter seven, we're introduced to Ezra. And so, you know, this is, uh, it's actually one of my, I think one of the great passages in, in, uh, in the book of Ezra, uh, Ezra chapter seven, verse 10. And we get a sense of the kind of person that Ezra is. And, and, and I think it's, it's a great lesson for us. It says here, for Ezra had prepared his heart to seek the law of the Lord and to do it and to teach in Israel statutes and judgments. Isn't that great? So, so he had prepared his heart to seek the Lord, first of all, uh, to seek his law, and then to do it, right? Not just to know it, but to do Love it, that. and then to teach other people to do it as well. Uh, but it all began with him preparing his heart to do that. I, I just love this idea of preparation. I, I'm interested in hearing uh, from the audience about some of the things that you are doing that prepares yourself as you strive to reach out and serve others. Jerry. Well, a couple of things came to mind. One is you were asking your former question. The thought came to mind that you cannot serve living water from an empty well. Okay. And so if we're trying to help someone, we need to have those resources. We need to be walking the walk uh, the, or, and, and walking the talk that we're, we're doing. So we need to be living those kinds of principles. We're trying to help someone. We need to be on higher ground ourselves and we need to have prepared our hearts. And so it's not that the, the necessarily that the scriptures are inherently, well, they are inherently good, but when we partake of it, we have to do something with that and transform that in our lives so that we have something to offer other people. And so I think having that life experience, having converted the, the words of the gospel into life experience that you can then share. And as I said, having some living water in yourself that you can draw on. Jerry, I'm so glad you shared that with us, you know, and, and what a perspective it gives us in the lives that we live, you know, versus what others are struggling with. And, and the fact that you brought up the scriptures and how that we can use that to fill our wells, it goes in perfectly with something that uh, President Kimball uh, once said about the scriptures. 
He said, I am convinced that each of us, at least sometime in our lives, must discover the scriptures for ourselves and not just discover them once, but rediscover them again and again. I love that of using the scriptures as that preparation uh, to help us. And we see that with, with Ezra and what he was trying to do as his people were coming back. He, before we his, wrap this up, do you mind speaking to yeah, a little to, bit about just that? Just to help the people rediscover the scriptures again, right? I mean, they, they had rediscovered them with Josiah. They'd re, you know, before that with Joshua and with Moses, right? So it, it's, uh, you know, so it's, it's the people in general. It's certainly true for us uh, individually. And I love a, a passage in Nehemiah. So Ezra and Nehemiah are actually kind of part of the same story. So if we fast forward to Nehemiah chapter 8, verse 8, uh, when Ezra is teaching the law, so we've talked about him preparing to teach the law and then going out and teaching it. He did it in a certain way. And it says, and they read in the book in the law of God distinctly and gave the sense and caused them to understand the reading. It wasn't just enough to talk, right? To stand up there. He taught until the people understood, right? That's what it means to rediscover the scriptures and not just to open them again and flip through them, yeah. but to discover them until you understand them. Imagine the work that we could do if we all had that idea, that mindset of understanding what the words of the scriptures are trying to teach us. Thank you both for your comments and audience. You guys were great. Thanks for everything that you've shared with us uh, as we've discussed our first topic, Israel's return from exile. I think temple and missionary work are very related because it all ties back to families. Like we are all one big family. Like God is our heavenly father. We are children of God. And I think missionary work is done to bring people into that light, to bring people into that knowledge that they are children of God. Missionary work, you're doing it here on earth, and you're always continuing to testify of Christ by inviting others to come to Him, whether you're a full-time missionary or even just a member, inviting a less active or a non-member friend. Temple work is the same thing, only on behalf of those who have passed on. To me, temple and missionary work are related because they bring people closer to God. With missionary work, we're finding people that either don't have a strong relationship with God or don't have a knowledge of God. And with temple work, we're helping people on the other side of the veil. And so just helping people come closer to Christ. So our second topic today is I can help the work of God advance despite opposition. So Patrick, um, despite all this help and this wonderful feeling of you know, assisting each other, there's still a lot of opposition that the Israelites are facing right now. Can you explain a little bit about that? Yeah, exactly. So as, as we get into the book of Nehemiah, he seems to be a really senior uh, kind of advisor in the court of the Persian king. So, okay. so despite the fact that he's a Jew, he's, he's really been elevated to this high position. And we've seen that with, happen with others. With Daniel yeah. and, and with others. So, um, so, so Nehemiah gets word here in, in chapter one, right at the, at the very beginning, uh, that uh, in, in verse three, that the walls of Jerusalem are, are all down. Remember, they were destroyed by the Babylonians. So of course, they're, they're still uh, destroyed. And, and so he knows for his people to be protected, uh, they're going to have to rebuild those walls. And so Nehemiah is like, let's do something about that. Okay, so he gets permission from the king uh, to go do this. But when he goes back to start rebuilding the walls, there's opposition. Okay. And Carol, um, with the work that you do, as we've talked about before, you work with a lot of people that are returning uh, what sort of opposition do those with whom you work face as they strive to return and build back up their lives? We 
see so many ways in which their efforts are thwarted by rules that we have in place that prevent them from getting employment, that prevent them from having housing. We get people who judge them based on their history. And so in their mind, you know, what's the point? What's the point of me going through yeah. all of these changes if no one else out there is going to give me a chance? And so we're always excited when there are people in the community who are willing to give people a chance. Wow. So how do we get out of the way of their progress by not being that opposition in general to anybody who's trying to build their life back? And maybe not only get out of the way, but actually help. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, would yeah. I was going to say, yeah, that's, that's a good point. We need to help. Maybe we're an employer mm -hmm. and we can um, give people jobs where we don't ordinarily hire someone, but give someone a chance, mm. refer them, help them look for things, just giving people a chance to prove themselves that they pay their rent, they can be successful. And so I think where the barriers come are really from us. We prevent them from being able to move past overcoming an addiction. Yeah, there's this great passage, uh, really powerful in chapter six, verse nine of Nehemiah, where, where it talks about this, um, where it says, for they've all made us afraid. You know, all these critics out there, you know, uh, while, while we're trying to build the wall, they've all made us afraid saying, their hands shall be weakened from the work that it be not done. Now, therefore, O God, strengthen my hands. Right? So there's okay. always people who want to weaken us, who want to tear us down, who, you know, who want to remember some of the things yeah. we've done in the past. Right? And, and so I love uh, the, the response of the people here. They turn to God, right? And they say, God, strengthen our hands so that we can do the work that you've called us to do. Emily. When I'm going through a challenge or facing some opposition, um, one of my favorite things that I feel like the Lord sends me is like a one word that helps get me through it, whether okay. that's the word charity or love or faith. And one recently that's been helping me is the word hope. And for me, what it stands for is hold on, pain ends. And that's just something mm, that's that I cool. feel like has really helped strengthen me to feel not only closer to the Lord, to know whatever the challenge is, emotional, physical, or anything we're going through in our life, just to keep hanging on, that it will end, that that pain that we experience will end in whatever way is Heavenly Father's plan for us but that through that, we are strengthened by his love. I love that idea of hang on, uh, pain ends, you know, and, and having that sort of optimism can absolutely be a strength to us in times of opposition. Thanks for sharing that. And we had another uh, comment from Trey. So where it says that your, their hands shall be weakened from their work, I feel that even when my hands are weakened, other people will help my hands be stronger physically and mentally. And the more people that help one another, then the more hands will be strengthened. Trey, who in your life has been a strength to you? Um, all my friends, my family, just most of the people in my life. Well, it sounds like you've surrounded yourself with some really good people, Trey. Uh, thank you for sharing that. Uh, Patrick, there's a lot we can learn from Nehemiah and 
I don't know if I want to call it his stubbornness <laughs> uh, to, to this opposition, but uh, what do we learn from him overcoming so much as he strives to rebuild this wall? Yeah, I actually think there are some really great practical lessons about how we respond when people are trying to tear us down, when people are trying to distract us, when people are trying to, you know, not to focus on what we know to be right. So let's go back to chapter four of Nehemiah. At the very beginning of the chapter, verse one and two, this guy named Sanballat, right? And so he hears that they're building the wall. He's angry. He starts mocking the Jews, right? And, and he says, what do these feeble Jews, will they fortify themselves? Will they sacrifice? You know, uh, are, are, are they going to revive the stones, you know, out of, out of this rubbish, right? So, I mean, he's, you know, and, and he just keeps doing this like chapter after chapter. He just doesn't stop. Well, here's what Nehemiah does, and I love it. So first of all, in chapter four, verse 14, he says, and I looked and rose up and I said to the nobles and the rulers and the rest of the people, be not afraid of them. Remember the Lord, which is great and terrible, and fight for your brethren, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your houses, right? It's kind of like, you know, like what every mom tells to their kid when they go out, remember who you are and what you stand for, (laughs) right? Exactly, so first of all, that's what Nehemiah says. Don't be afraid of them. Remember who you are. And then if we go a a couple chapters later, this great, great verse from chapter six, verse three. So Sanballat keeps talking trash. He keeps, you know, yapping. And and, and he says, I want you to come down off the walls because Nehemiah is up on the walls. So so he says, come down, you know, uh, off the walls and, and talk to me, right? And this is what Nehemiah says. I sent messengers unto them saying, I'm doing a great work so that I cannot come down. Why should the work cease while I leave it and come down to you? It's like, man, like, <laughs> why would I? I'm doing important stuff here. Yeah. Like, uh, I'm not going to come down to your level, right? I'm going to keep doing, I'm doing a great work, and I'm, gonna, I'm just going to keep doing it. I, I can't help but think of this imagery of a wall that we are trying to build up. Um, one thought that came to mind is maybe it's a standard. We're trying to build our standards and we're constantly being, you know, dragged down uh, from that. And I'm always impressed at those like Nehemiah who are able to stay on that wall and continue to build up. Um, I'm curious to know what are some of the things that you do in your lives to not listen to those voices that are trying to tear you down and bring you down from your own personal wall? Justice. Yeah, so something lately that I've tried to focus on is my desire. So going along with like what you said, you know, identifying who we are is like a big part of it. But the desire has also been a big part. Some parts of my life have been fence, on the fence. So when I've been on the fence, it's been easy for me to sway either way. But when I've like outlined like, okay, this is my desire and this is what I want. And then when I'm steadfast in that, I find it um, a lot easier to combat or resist certain things that might afflict me. So Justice, what are some of the specific things that you, you do um, to kind of help keep you focused on what you really want? I, with that desire, I reflect on um, the things that I would be blessed with if I stay on the path of righteousness and the things that I will lose if I give in to temptation. So having that perspective of uh, what path 
I will choose, depending on my desire, uh, helps me better determine what I want to do. Sometimes when we think of opposition, we think of others doing it to us. Um, sometimes that opposition can be things that we do to ourselves. Okay. And then sometimes the opposition can come in just living life. Things happen in life. And I remember many, many years ago, my young sister was driving to work when she slumped over, um, they were stopped at the traffic light and she grabbed her heart. And so those that were watching, she was in a convertible. So they called an ambulance. She was rushed to the ER. I was down at BYU working on my master's and I got a call saying that I needed to come to the hospital right away. The sound of the doctor's voice let me know that it was pretty serious. I was by myself. I couldn't believe what was happening. I was at a loss at what to do. I had no idea how to get the help that I needed to overcome this drowning feeling that I was feeling. And I kept praying to Heavenly Father to help me so that I could feel like myself again. And all of a sudden, I just felt this weight lifted from me. And this is what I wrote in my journal. At that moment, I knew God answered my prayers. My sister was still in the hospital. Her condition was still grave. She was in a coma. But the weight of my sorrows and worries and fears dissolved in the Savior at that moment. It was instant. Life tragedies happen. They usually come unexpected. And I couldn't imagine ever being in that situation again. Well, two months ago, I get the call. It's my brother. He had just struggled through addiction. He had overcome that, got his, a big job with an architectural firm. He just got his master's in architecture. He was moving up into his new place. He had been there for one week and he died. I was devastated. And I thought, Heavenly Father, how can I be going through this again? Why now? He was so close and a voice very clearly said, he's done a great job. He's coming home at his best. And that meant so much to me to hear those words enter my mind because that was the hope that I needed to make it through that experience. Our life experiences really do build upon each other. And if I hadn't had that experience with my little sister, I would not have been prepared to draw on the atoning sacrifice of my Savior this go around. I mean, what a beautiful example of ignoring the voices of discouragement, you know, to, to stay on that wall and to stay strong. And, and what a beautiful example of drawing strength from others, you know, as we strive to stay on, on our own personal walls and, and to lean on the Savior for that help. Carol, thank you so much for sharing such a personal part of your life uh, with us today. And for the audience, thank you so much for sharing with us of your, your testimonies and, and your experiences as we've talked about our second topic of the day, I can help the work of God advance despite opposition. One thing that I learned today or that stood out to me was how we can really find principles in any scriptures. I'm not good with reading the Old Testament. And so going through these accounts and relating them to my life 
and situations going on today really helped me to just strengthen my testimony of how true the scriptures are and that they're really from God. The Spirit taught me today that God is real and He loves us and He will continue to work with us and be there to lighten our burdens. Today, the Spirit taught me to see other people, to not just focus on myself and what I'm going through, but to see others and ask myself how I can help. Welcome to Come Follow Up Footnotes. There's been this theme as we've talked about the return of Israelites building a temple, Nehemiah building a wall. And uh, there's this kind of theme of rebuilding and uh, I was wondering, Carol, if you wouldn't mind uh, talking a little bit about um, what your experience is as you've tried to help people rebuild their lives and how we can relate it to some of these scriptural stories we're reading about. Yeah. What's really interesting is the rebuilding of our lives is like the rebuilding of the temple. Whoa, <laughs> did you see how that works? <laughs> We, we love props here, and I just, and when it comes to like building ben, blocks. Ben got bored, like, at lunch. Just and threw so. this thing together, and so, please keep going, continue. I really think it is just like building the temple. I come down the hill on Main Street, and I see the construction on the Salt Lake Temple, and it is pretty impressive how they have the ground excavated and the work that they're doing there. Really, for a person going through addiction and recovery, it is like a personal excavation. They really have to get down to that foundation and start fortifying themselves from that standpoint. And part of that process is a lot their work, their decision. And I have a woman that I've been working with for a year or so, and she has been in the program for a while. I remember her telling me her story that she made a decision one day that she was done. She had five beautiful children and her life was in pieces. She walked across the street and went for help. And I remember her coming in and saying, if I come for help, please tell me that you won't take my children. And we said, absolutely not. We are here to support you and your family to make sure that you're back to where you need to be. She has been successful for seven years now, and she is someone that I am very impressed by. She walked in, and from day one, she never looked back. And I like that. It reminds me of Nehemiah standing on that wall and just insisting that he's not coming down. And I feel like this is my client. She is not coming down. I love to hear Elder Bednar talk to our youth about being laser, being focused. And when I think about Nehemiah and I think about this woman, she is laser beam focused. And sometimes when we're repairing and we're restoring our lives, we really need to have a purpose and a focus. Because there are gonna be voices like in Nehemiah's case that are saying, what are you doing up there making fun of us even? I imagine there's a lot of shame that comes in uh, to the lives of a lot of these people you work with. And what are some of the challenges that they face in overcoming that? The challenge in overcoming is the messages that we give people. We talked a little bit earlier about weakening people's hands and not giving them the space 
to make better choices. And when they're making better choices, reinforcing the, the choices that we want to see. And so to take it a little step at a time and don't be quick to pull them back to where they were or to remind them of, oh, you used to do this or you used to do that. And I think that it's really important to avoid the um, temptation to gossip or to share old facts that are no longer true. And when we do that in a way, Patrick, wouldn't you agree that we are, we're the ones at the bottom trying to tear them off of their wall as they're trying to rebuild? I mean, we, we do this all the time, right? When, when we gossip about mm -hmm. people, when we, uh, when we hold on to, to things, you know, this is, this, this, this is why, you know, it's amazing what the Lord tells us about repent, repentance, that when we truly repent, he remembers our sins no more. That's God. He's got a perfect memory, yeah. right? So he, he's, he's trying to tell us something about our ability to, to let go of, of those other things. That's really hard, right, when somebody's hurt us, um, especially directly and personally, and when it's family members, when it's intimate. I mean, that's, that's not easy to let go of those things. Uh, but but that's all part of the reconciliation process that that I that has to be part of rebuilding lives. So what else, Patrick, can we learn from this experience of of the Israelites and their exile, as we kind of deal with some of the internal exiles that we feel as we distance ourselves from God through some of our choices? Yeah. Well, I'll tell you. I I think one great passage here in in Ezra. Uh, this, this is in Ezra chapter three, when uh, they come back and have, uh, and have rebuilt the temple. So if we, if we go to verses 11 and 12 of, of chapter three, uh, it says, and they sang together by course and praising and giving thanks unto the Lord because he's good for his mercy endureth forever toward Israel. And all the people shouted with a great shout when they praised the Lord because the foundation of the house of the Lord was laid, right? You know, we think about this great event, right? They're all happy, right? They're all happy, except <laughs> it says, but many of the priests and Levites and chief of the fathers who were ancient men, that had seen the first house, they'd seen the first temple, right? That was destroyed. And they'd lived through these decades without a temple. They'd lived in exile. And now they come back, these ancient men, when the foundation of this house was laid before their eyes, wept with a loud voice and many shouted aloud for joy. Both the weeping and the shouting with joy at the same time. Yeah. Right, and you know, I mean, we're human beings. Our our emotions are complex, right? And and you can imagine these people who who remember the the, the first temple, remember the glories of Solomon's temple that was destroyed, and and they remember those those feelings and and the trauma uh, that they had, decades of trauma um, that that are part of them, and being happy at the same time. You know, so, sometimes we want people to just be sad or just be happy, right? And, but, but they can't be both. <laughs> but, but, and they can't be both, but, but, but there are a lot of times in our lives where these, these feelings get, get mixed. You know, whenever I get, anybody get calls at a, as a Relief Society or a bishop, I would say, you know, congratulations. <laughs> you know, it's because I know they're gonna have both great experiences, but it's also gonna be real hard. So it's, it's okay to have this mix of emotions. Yeah, and there's, a, there's some great ties to repentance, returning, you know, going through that process that the Israelites are going through. And it really does teach us about, again, this, this theme of God and his love and his mercy as he's trying to bring all of his children, you know, back to him. 
I, I just have to go back to the young women's theme mm -hmm. where it says that um, I cherish the gift of repentance. Ah. And for many years, I misunderstood the purpose of repentance. I did not view it as a gift. And one of the young women who um, was in a meeting that I was at raised her hand and said that this was the greatest blessing for her to recognize that repentance was a gift. It was her ability to change and to grow closer to the Savior instead of looking at it as something that takes us away from the Savior. And I think a lot of times people look at repentance just like that. You're taking me away from the Savior, but really we're bringing you closer. Mm -hmm. And why is it, do you think sometimes we, you know, as you said, when we view repentance, why do we, why do we not look at it off, uh, always as a gift? Like what about repentance? Are we not <laughs> seeing the, you know, the gift side of it? I think we're kind of being called on the carpet. I mean, if we've committed a sin, um, something that we know we're not supposed to be doing, I think that we're very much that word shame again. We're very much ashamed mm -hmm. of the choices that we make, but the gift is, being able to unburden ourselves of the weight of that problem and knowing that Heavenly Father, we've laid it out on the table, He's heard, and now He's helping us to come back. And, and sometimes we feel like, uh, I think this is maybe one of the most insidious things of all, if, if we feel like God is ashamed of us, right. right? I mean, I think that is absolutely the adversary telling you, like, you're not good enough, right? God doesn't love you anymore. You, how horrible you are. Yeah, right? we, don't, we, we don't want to lose favor. Yeah. We, we don't want to lose favor. We want to be seen as good in, in his eyes. And, and we forget that the entire basis of the gospel of Jesus Christ is that God sent his son to save us, right? For God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son, right? Not to condemn us, but to save us. Yeah. You know, yeah. I, and as we talk about this idea of, of returning, I think sometimes, um, so some of the Israelites, they return, but then there's so much work to do. And once we make that decision to return, and even as we start down that path, it can be really difficult to continue because building a temple takes a long, long time. Yeah building a wall, you know, we have this, this brick, you know, representing what Nehemiah is trying to do, building and the, the, the mortar that goes in to keep the, that wall intact and in strong. Uh, what other lessons can we learn um, from this aspect of building as we talk about the temple, as we talk about specifically with Nehemiah and this wall that he is trying to build up? Well, I, th I think sometimes our, our strength can flag a little bit, right? I mean, it, it can be hard. The, yeah. the people that you, you know, deal with, uh, but, but that's true of, of every single one of us. We, we, can, we can lose sight of this. And I mean, I like in, in Ezra chapter five, uh, you know, the people have been rebuilding the temple and trying to do this, but, but then they kind of get distracted and, uh, and God sends more prophets. He sends uh, Haggai and sends Zechariah, right? Uh, to to, to kind of remind them of their purpose. Sometimes when our strength flags, when, when, we, when we just don't have the energy to do it, we need other people around us to, you know, to give us the boost. You know, we, we've talked about some of the success stories of, of rebuilding. Um, that doesn't always happen. You know, there are, I'm sure, Carol, you can speak to this a little more on sometimes when that rebuilding process 
just breaks down and collapses, we have to keep starting over or struggling. How do we pick up the pieces sometimes when things just fall apart? I think we pick up the pieces by restarting. And I don't think it matters how many times we're starting up the ladder as long as we're walking upwards. And sometimes a person's life may end. Um, but we've got to understand that addiction, mental illness, are problems that have consequences. They're problems that have consequences. And sometimes... Not just for the individual. Not just for, for the individual, are, yeah, but for okay. those that are their family. Mm -hmm. And so I think focusing on the positive experiences that we've had with the person, we can still rejoice in the successes that they had. We can still use our experiences to reach out and help other people and serve. I don't think that it has to end because something didn't work the way that we wanted it to. Okay. And I think that there are lessons to be learned when things don't work out. It helps us to strategize differently. Carol, thank you so much for sharing about the experiences you have, you know, working with those that are trying to rebuild. And I love that theme that God is always trying to help us overcome and rebuild. So what sort of connections can we make to God trying to help us rebuild our lives and encouraging saints to build temples? Well, I, I, I think it's, it's, it's so powerful. We see it not only here, but in modern church history as well, where, where the saints uh, sacrificed so much. I mean, you know, these, these, these early members of the church were not wealthy. They didn't have a lot of disposable income, but they sacrificed what they had because they knew how important the temples were gonna be, just like these people, and part of it because they knew these stories. Mm -hmm. And so they, they sacrificed so much to build the Kirtland Temple, the, the Nauvoo Temple, even when they knew that they weren't gonna be there for very long. They knew and trusted in the power that God was gonna give them in these temples that they sacrificed so much, so much to build. Patrick, uh, President Monson um, has talked about making temples a beacon in our lives. And we have this, um, the rebuilding, the return uh, of the Israelites, rebuilding the temple. So I was wondering if you could uh, help teach us a little bit about some of the comparisons that we can draw with uh, their desire to rebuild a temple and the efforts that uh, the early saints put into building temples. Yeah, it's, it's a great question. And, and I think that's, that's one of the things that, that we have is the restoration. It's part of the restoration of just recognizing how important temples are, mm -hmm. right? And that once you have that understanding, then how much work and sacrifice you're willing to make for it. And so it's, it's remarkable. You know, we, we forget sometimes when, when we talk about the, the building of these early temples, whether it be in Kirtland or in Nauvoo uh, or the early temples here in Utah, just how poor these people were. Mm. Uh, these, these were farmers and merchants and other people who were, you know, kind of in the low to middling section of, of, of society socioeconomically, but, but they had a fire in their hearts. And, and they knew, actually partly from reading scriptures like this, right? I mean, they, 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 these were Bible believers and they knew how important the temple would be. And so to, to hear the stories of, of sacrifice um, from, from these early saints, uh, sometimes, you know, for me, the most amazing one actually is this Nauvoo temple because 
they, they finished it, they worked on it, they sacrificed, they were building it night and day, actually defending the temple while building it, it very similar to Nehemiah, uh, actually, from, from critics and, and right. armed mobs who were threatening it. They knew they were going to leave. Wow. They knew they were going to leave it behind, right? And they, they, they knew that they were not building something that they were going to be worshiping in for decades and centuries and so forth. But they had such a powerful testimony of what was going to happen inside that temple, the covenants that they were going to make, the power that God promised to give them in that temple that they were willing to sacrifice and, and work night and day. And it was kind of ironic, Patrick, is that at, with temples, we focus so much on temples and strengthening families in temples, but we get a different message from Ezra when it comes to families. <laughs> and just to kind of clarify some things for those in my reading, would you mind kind of explaining a little bit about that? Yeah, I mean, there's so much great stuff in Ezra, but there's also this, um, the, you know, these these moments that I think are a little bit jarring for us <laughs> today. Now, we know from th- throughout the Old Testament, uh, as as the prophets taught about the covenant, they they warned the Israelites against intermarriage. They they warned them against marrying outside the covenant. Uh, with uh, for for them, they were always worried that that uh, the people would follow after other people's gods, right? That they okay. would they would forget their covenants and and uh, and do elsewhere. So Ezra, as he comes back, he's trying to rebuild the people, right? He's trying to instill the law in their hearts, and he's he's a little harsh uh, <laughs> in some of the way he does this, and and he. Um, and, and, and he, tell, he, he preaches against intermarriage, which was consistent with what we had seen previous prophets mm-hmm. do. But then in chapter 10, he actually tells them, uh, in, in verse 3, actually, they use the language of covenant. Uh, we make a covenant with our God to put away all our wives and such as are born of them. So he calls on all these people who had intermarried during these decades of exile and return and so forth when they were mixed with all these other populations. He says, put away your wives and children from those marriages. Now, that's not the counsel to the church today. So, so I think it's just important to clarify, right, that Ezra's day is not mm-hmm. our day. He was, yeah, he was facing different issues. It was, it was a different time and place. And, and we, we have a different understanding uh, today. Of course, we, uh, you know, the prophets have encouraged people to, to, to marry in the covenant with all the blessings that come with that. But we also know from the family proclamation that there are lots of exceptions, right, for, for lots of reasons, that families look, you know, and, and are shaped in, in lots of different ways. I, I, I just love the quote that I heard um, Sister Eubank give, mm. and she said, um, in speaking about herself as a leader and an unmarried sister, she said, we have to broaden our approach and talk about family in a really inclusive way. And I think that that speaks to this issue as mm-hmm. well. There are going to be families in our ward who are uh, single parents. There are going to be single sisters. There are going to be um, interracial couples. There are going to be a variety of different looking families. Right. And we need to be inclusive of them. And we need to be sensitive to some of the experiences that they might be having. And so I just love that quote because I really felt that it had some application here. And I love what President Eyring said is, is similar. Uh, he, he says, the prophet of God once offered me counsel that gives me peace. I was worried that the choices of others might make it impossible for our family to be together forever. He said, you're worrying about the wrong problem. You just live worthy of the celestial kingdom 
and the family arrangements will be more wonderful than you can imagine. Oh, I love that. Yeah, right? Again, this feeling of hope, right? And, and, and our heavenly parents, they love us more than we can even imagine. And so we do the best we can do, right? And, and then hold on to that hope. Okay, Carol, as we close off this episode, I would just love to know, as you have worked with those that are striving and as you're trying to help them come back to Christ, how has that affected your testimony of Christ? I think how it's affected my testimony is to realize that the people that I work with have more to teach me than I typically do to teach them. They are teaching me about perseverance and sticking with um, a plan to overcome a challenge. Mm -hmm. And that's really exactly what we're doing. But they're overcoming some challenges that in my mind seem insurmountable. And so I'm always looking to find out what they're doing and emulating some of the things right. that they have chosen to do. And what I love even more is when they give credit to God mm-hmm. and they show gratitude that they recognize that God is helping them. And it's exciting. And it helps me to recognize in my own life that I need to identify the times when I recognize that God is helping me, whether it's through a neighbor or whether it's through one of my clients, that the God is really working in my life through the least of those in our community. For I wasn't hungered and you gave me meat. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you took me in. Naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and ye came unto me. And the king shall answer and say unto them, Verily I say unto you, inasmuch as ye have done it unto one of the least of these, my brethren, you've done it unto me. Beautiful words. What a joy it has been. Just feels good. I just, uh, Patrick, Carol, you have just strengthened my testimony on my need for a savior. And I just want to thank you for for being with us, for just sharing your, your spirit and your goodness. As we've talked about two wonderful topics, Israel's return from exile, and I can help the work of God advance despite opposition. And thank you all for joining us today. As a reminder, please have the strength and courage to follow through on any prompting that you may have felt throughout this episode. And once again, we enjoyed our time with you. Please join us for another episode of Come Follow Up. Come Follow Up is a production of BYU Broadcasting.